the verses 1 through 12. So Matthew 12, beginning at verse 15 to the end of the chapter, and then Hebrews 6, beginning at verse 1. And in response to this scripture reading, let us sing from Psalm 33, the stanzas 4 and 6. Psalm 33, 4 and 6, after the scripture reading. Now immediately to the passage, uh, ahead of the passage of the reading, we uh, read about the healing of a blind and uh, dumb or mute man. And what follows next is the reaction uh, to that healing and how Jesus responded to that. So we begin at verse 12. Jesus, aware of this, withdrew from there. And many followed him, and he healed them all and ordered them not to make him known. This was to fulfill what was spoken by the prophet Isaiah. Behold, my servant whom I have chosen, my beloved uh, with whom my soul is well pleased. I will put my spirit upon him, and he will proclaim justice to the Gentiles. He will not quarrel or cry aloud, nor will anyone hear his voice in the streets. A bruised reed he will not break, and a smoldering wick he will not quench, until he brings justice to victory, and in his name the Gentiles will hope. Then a demon-possessed oppressed man who was blind and mute was brought to him and he healed him so that the man now spoke and saw and all the people were amazed and said can this be the son of David but when the Pharisees heard it they said it is only by Beelzebul the prince of demons that this man cast out demons knowing their thoughts he said to them every kingdom divided against itself is laid waste And no city or house divided against itself will stand. And if Satan casts out Satan, he is divided against himself. How then will his kingdom stand? And if I cast out demons by Beelzebul, by whom do your sons cast them out? Therefore they will be your judges. But if it is by the Spirit of God that I cast out demons, then the kingdom of God has come upon you. Or how can someone enter a strong man's house and plunder his goods unless he first binds the strong man? Then indeed he may plunder his house. Whoever is not with me is against me, and whoever does not gather with me scatters. Therefore I tell you, every sin and blasphemy will be forgiven people, but the blasphemy against the Spirit will not be forgiven. And whoever speaks a word against the Son of Man will be forgiven. But whoever speaks against the Holy Spirit will not be forgiven, either in this age or in the age to come. Either make the tree good and its fruit good, or make the tree bad and its fruit bad, for the tree is known by its fruit. You brood of vipers, how can you speak good when you are evil? For out of the abundance of the heart the mouth speaks. The good person out of his good treasure brings forth good, and the evil person out of his evil treasure brings forth evil. I tell you, on the day of judgment, people will give account for every careless word they speak. For by your words you will be justified, and by your words you will be condemned. Let us now turn to Hebrews chapter 6, and we read the verses 1 through 12. 
And there we hear God's instruction. Therefore, let us leave the elementary doctrine of Christ and go on to maturity, not laying again a foundation of repentance from dead works and of faith towards God and of instruction about washings, the laying on of hands, the resurrection of the dead and eternal judgment. And this we will do if God permits. For it is impossible in the case of those who have once been enlightened, who have tasted the heavenly gift and have shared in the Holy Spirit and have tasted the goodness of the word of God and the powers of the age to come and then have fallen away to restore them again to repentance since they are crucifying once again the Son of God to their own harm and holding him up to contempt. The land that has drunk the rain that often falls on it and produces a crop useful to those for whose sake it is cultivated receives a blessing from God. But if it bears thorns and thistles, it is worthless and near to being cursed, and its end is to be burned. Though we speak in this way, Yet in your case, beloved, we feel sure of better things, things that belong to salvation. For God is not unjust so as to overlook your work and the love that you have shown for his name in serving the saints as you still do. And we desire each one of you to show the same earnestness to have the full assurance of hope until the end so that you may not be sluggish but imitators of those who, through faith and patience, inherit the promises. Thus far the scripture reading, let us sing Psalm 33, the stanzas 4 and 6. The text for the sermon this morning you'll find in Matthew chapter 12, the verses 31 and 32. Let us read those verses once more. Matthew 12, the verses 31 and 32. There the Lord Jesus speaks this warning to his church. Therefore, I tell you, every sin and blasphemy will be forgiven people, but the blasphemy against the Holy Spirit will not be forgiven. And whoever speaks a word against the Son of Man will be forgiven, but whoever speaks against the Holy Spirit will not be forgiven either in this age or in the age to come. In response to the sermon, let us sing from hymn 48, the stanzas 2 and 3, hymn 48, 2 and 3, after the sermon. Brothers and sisters in our Lord Jesus Christ, in his meditations on the Gospels, Bishop Riley wrote about these words of the Lord Jesus in Matthew 12, that it contains things that are difficult to understand. He writes, and I quote, The sin against the Holy Spirit in particular has, been, has never been fully explained. It is not difficult to show from Scripture what the sin is not. It is difficult to show clearly what it is. And this is a true and honest statement. Indeed, these words of our Lord have caused much misunderstanding and even anxiety. And that may be the reason why people cherish the miracle of Jesus' healing the blind and mute demoniac, while they try to forget the serious warnings that followed. 
However, it is precisely this warning that is of great importance for us. For the Lord Jesus spoke some truly frightening words. He mentioned a sin that is unforgivable. And that should make us caution us in our ways, for we are all people in need of forgiveness. And therefore, a sermon on sinning against the Holy Spirit is a timely topic. For Jesus spoke this warning about the unforgivable sin to the descendants of Abraham, that is, to the church people like you and me who know about sin and who know about the need of redemption. And Jesus' warning is, every sin and blasphemy will be forgiven men, but the blasphemy against the Holy Spirit will not be forgiven. And so I proclaim to you God's word how Christ warns his church about the unforgivable sin. We look at three things. First of all, the reason for the warning. Secondly, the nature of the unforgivable sin. And in the third place, the person who commits this sin. So then God warns the church about the unforgivable sin. And the first point then is the reason for the warning. Why did the Lord Jesus utter this ominous warning about the blasphemy against the Holy Spirit? What triggered it? Well, a wonderful display of mercy had been shown that demanded recognition and admiration from all who saw it or heard about it. But this healing did not bring recognition and admiration from all. With some, it triggered contempt. You see, one day a man was brought to the Lord Jesus. This man was in truly pitiful state. Not only was he blind and mute, that means he could not speak, he was also possessed by a demon. An evil spirit had taken control of his life. But the Lord Jesus healed this poor man by breaking through the power of darkness and he freed him from the misery and isolation in which he lived. He was healed so that he could both see and speak. At last, he was able to communicate and begin to function in life. And so with one mighty act of mercy, the Lord Jesus had restored him to complete health. Now, like most of his healings, the Lord Jesus performed this deed in front of other people. And many who saw what had happened reacted with elation. They were amazed. And they were ecstatic about it. And the obvious question came to their minds. Could this be the son of David? The long-awaited savior? Well, the people who reacted that way were simple folk of simple faith who lived in the expectation of Christ's coming. The miracle Jesus performed made a deep impression on them. And they recognized that something out of the ordinary had happened by someone who, needs be, also had to be extraordinary. And among the people, Jesus' miraculous healing gave the rise to admiration and made them wonder if Jesus was the long-awaited son of David. Now, this admiration and recognition was not shared by all. It did not sit well with the leaders of the people that the Lord Jesus was recognized as one sent by God and sent from God. 
And that is why the Pharisees expressed a totally different opinion. Their verdict was, it is only by Beelzebul, the prince of demons, that this fellow drives out demons. And here we have proof again that when the work of redemption is revealed to set sinners free, the power of darkness is right away present to twist the truth and to discredit God's wondrous grace. For it is clear that the Pharisees said this out of spite, and they said it out of open hostility towards the Lord Jesus. Now, when hostility rears its ugly head, the people resort to ways and means to discredit the opponent by trying to make his name fall in disrepute. Hostility often comes down to how low can you get? Well, that was the case here. The Lord's enemies steeped very low and resorted to false accusation and insinuation. The fact that the Lord had done something special, that was not even acknowledged as the work of God. It was a sign to the work of darkness. And so they belittled the Lord Jesus and presented him to the people as an ally of the devil. And in that way, they blasphemed against the Son of Man. But now, therefore, we should keep in mind, my brothers and sisters, that blaspheming involves more than cursing God's name. Isn't that how we usually think about it? We use the name of God in vain and we have blasphemed. But blaspheming in its larger context means more, involves more than using the name of God in vain. You see, blaspheming also involves slandering the name and the majesty of God. And this is done, among other things, by intentionally speaking untruths about God and his deeds. It is always a willful defamation of character. We sometimes use the expression character assassination. Well, that happens when someone purposely speaks evil about a person in order to bring him down in the esteem of others. Well, that's precisely what was happening here. And so blasphemy is to knowingly do injustice by twisting the facts about the truth of the matter. And you see, that's how it was with the Pharisees who did not really believe a word of what they were saying. And how can I make that claim, that they did not believe a word of what they're saying? Well, I can do so because the Lord Jesus, who knew their thoughts, did not speak about unbelief, or he didn't speak about ignorance. He repeatedly called it blasphemy. Their accusation that Jesus cast out demons by Beelzebub was slander. And they knew it. For let's not think that these men really believed that the devil would work against his own interest by having his allies expel demons. Satan is not engaged in committing suicide. Now, the slander was merely a ploy to discredit Jesus in the eyes of the people who believed him to be the long-awaited Messiah. And so, for the benefit of the people... The people who believed in him as the son of David, 
The Lord Jesus right away set out to show the fallacy of the statement that the Pharisees made. And the Lord Jesus used some logic here. For with clear logic, he turned the tables on his opponents. If Satan, the father of lies and evil, drives out Satan, the question is, does he then undermine his own position? How can this kingdom stand? Jesus asked these questions to show that the point the Pharisees tried to make was plain silly. But the Lord's rebuttal becomes even more devastating. For he says, if it were really true that he, the Lord, drove out demons by Beelzebul, in whose name and power did their sons, the sons of the Pharisees, drive them out? Would they not be doing so by Beelzebul as well? And now the point is the ease with which the Lord Jesus deproved, disproved the slanderous accusation against him was all the more proof that it was willful twisting of the truth on the part of the Pharisees. You see, what they should have done instead of twisting the truth was to acknowledge that Jesus had worked a miracle by the power from above as the one sent by God. And because they refused to acknowledge this fact, Christ gave them a frightening warning. He said, every sin and blasphemy will be forgiven men, but the blasphemy against the Spirit will not be forgiven. And now elsewhere in the scripture, blasphemy against the Holy Spirit is what the Apostle John calls a mortal sin or sin unto death. And isn't that a terrible indictment? There is no forgiveness for blaspheming against the Holy Spirit, either in this life or in the life to come. Whoever blasphemes against the Holy Spirit is lost forever. And this fact often has brought anxiety and fear. For there's always the fear and the uncertainty, what if I have committed this sin? And that brings us then to the second point of the sermon, the nature of the unforgivable sin. Now, before anxiety gets the better of us, let us find out what the blasphemy against the Holy Spirit really is. And the key to understanding is found in verse 32, where the Lord Jesus says, Anyone who speaks a word against the Son of Man will be forgiven. But anyone who speaks against the Holy Spirit will not be forgiven. And these key words of the Lord Jesus Christ need our close scrutiny because they point us to a certain time and place in his life and ministry. For you see, in our text, the Lord Jesus calls the sin and blasphemy against the Spirit worse than sin against the Son of Man. Notice that the Lord Jesus refers to himself as the Son of Man. And so our attention is therefore drawn to the fact that at this point in his ministry, 
the Lord Jesus as our mediator is still in his state of humiliation. For you see, the expression, Son of Man, tells us that we must still think of the Lord Jesus as the suffering servant before his death. Good Friday and Easter still had to happen. All the things Jesus was doing were done with a view to to his sacrifice to yet be made at Golgotha. He was not yet glorified. And so people had to acknowledge him and believe in him on the basis of his words and works, which were signs and proof that he was the long-awaited Messiah. But it could happen, perhaps, that because the Lord was yet not yet glorified, that people could still be mistaken in his opinion about him. You see, the darkness of sin could still cloud their view and perception of who Jesus really is. And because of ignorance and unbelief, the people could still mistake the Lord Jesus as an imposter or a false prophet, even though all the signs and wonders he performed pointed in a different direction. Well, the Lord Jesus is saying such ignorance and unbelief could still be forgiven. They had, so to speak, the benefit of the doubt. But here comes the impact of Jesus' warning. And are you listening? Blasphemy against the Holy Spirit will never be forgiven. And why did the Lord Jesus say this? Well, he did so because the healing of the blind and that mute demoniac was ample proof of the power of the Spirit at work in and through him, the Christ. But what did the Pharisees do? They attributed to Satan what the Holy Spirit achieved through Christ. And what made it worse is that they did so deliberately. And therefore Jesus said to them, that you slander me as the Son of Man in my humiliation. Well, that is still pardonable. For I am the Son of Man not yet glorified. My glory has not yet been revealed. But the fact that you do not acknowledge the glory of the Spirit in the demonstration of power which the Spirit works through me, That is unforgivable. And why is that unpardonable? Well, because sin against the Holy Spirit is not just any kind of sin. It is satanic. It severs the last strand that links us with the true awareness of who God is. And this sin is unforgivable because it is an outright and it is a deliberate denial of the fact Well, one knows better. And so we need to ask the urgent question, my brothers and sisters. Can we today still make this distinction between pardonable sin against the Son of Man and the unforgivable sin against the Holy Spirit? And the answer is no. We can no longer make that distinction, you see, for the Lord Jesus is no longer the Son of Man in his humiliation. He is now the exalted Christ. Pentecost has come. The risen and ascended Christ has poured out his 
Holy Spirit upon all believers. And the Spirit declares to us all in all power the works of the glorified Christ. The Apostle John writes in his gospel that the Spirit will convict the world of, gain, of, sin, of guilt rather, in regards to sin and righteousness and judgment. For you see, the time of ignorance is past. Good Friday, Easter, and Pentecost, they've all happened. And that is why the denial of Jesus as the Christ today is also an unforgivable sin. For denial of the glorified and exalted Christ is, in essence, the denial of the Holy Spirit who reveals to us the risen and glorified Christ. And therefore, someone blasphemes against the Holy Spirit if he or she willfully rejects the Lord in his glorious revelation since Pentecost. The unforgivable sin is if we who know and hear the gospel of salvation in Jesus Christ, if we deliberately deny and reject the work of the Spirit in our lives and do not acknowledge Christ Jesus as Lord and Savior. And now when we understand this, we can come back to that question that may have plagued us at some time in life. And that question is, have I perhaps committed this sin, and am I now without hope? For instance, you may have cursed the name of God in a fit of anger. Or in a weak moment, you question your faith and God's promises. Is that the unforgivable sin? Well, my brothers and sisters, I may say for the encouragement of all that anyone who fears that he or she has committed the unpardonable sin has not yet committed it. For the remorse and the guilt and the fear are proof that you have not fallen that far. However, I do not say this to minimize the danger. For we should pay close attention to what sort of person does commit this horrible sin. And that brings us to the last point. Now, I hope that it has become clear that someone who has never heard the gospel of God's grace in Jesus Christ cannot commit the sin against the Holy Spirit because he does not know the work of the Holy Spirit. It is as Hebrews 6 instructs us, people who at one time accepted the gospel of salvation but who now reject the gospel message and its demands that, that sin commit that unforgivable sin. And therefore, this warning is all the more urgent for us, for only those who know God's love in Christ, but who snub this love can commit this unforgivable sin against the Holy Spirit. The unforgivable sin is deliberate rejection of God's grace in our lives. And you know, this falling away, we see happening around us at an alarming rate. It is a general trend that sweeps across the nations so that what were once at one time predominantly Christian, excuse me, Christian nations have little Christianity left. More and more people say farewell to the faith. And this does not come all at once, of course. Sin against the Spirit is never the beginning. 
it is always the end station. It often begins with a lax attitude in serving God, which spills over into indifference to God's grace in Jesus Christ. And it ends in outright hostility against God's promised salvation. And please, my brothers and sisters, do not be so naive as to think that this cannot happen to us. How many people do you know personally who have great, uh, gradually strayed from the faith and now no longer believe? And therefore be on guard. We are surrounded by a type of Christianity with the mentality that no one can do wrong. Each goes his or her own way. God is love, remember? He will be pleased that I serve him in the way I do. But is that true? No, it isn't. Please remember that it is not only the Old Testament that sounds the warning against unfaithfulness. You read it throughout the Old Testament. The Israelites, they served God and they became unfaithful. God called them back. They served them and they became unfaithful. Now Hebrews 4 verse 11 states very clearly, Let us therefore make every effort to enter that rest so that no one will fall by following their example of disobedience. So the Old Testament's example of disobedience. Did you hear that? Make every effort to enter God's rest. That means that we have to work at it to remain faithful. And that we can enter God's rest only if we follow his direction, not our own. For the danger is real for anyone to stray from the road that God points us to and wander into the road of lax attitude in serving God. And once that happens, it is so easy to slip further and further if the slide is not halted in time. And therefore, my brothers and sisters, let the proclamation of God's word every week anew direct and keep you on the path to life. For we have the full revelation of God. Since Pentecost, the Holy Spirit beams his full light of revelation into our hearts. And again today, we are placed before a choice. The Spirit who was poured out on Pentecost sounds the warning against half-hearted service and the ever-present danger of falling away. He calls us to share and abide in the salvation obtained by the Lord Jesus Christ. And so you may wonder, why a sermon on this warning of our Savior? Well, simply to echo the words of the writer of Hebrews 6, the verses 9 through 12. Even though we speak like this, we are confident of better things in your case, things that accompany salvation. We want each of you to show the same diligence to the very end in order to make your hope sure. We do not want you to become lazy, but to imitate others who through faith and patience inherit what has been promised. And you know, that is God's weekly call of grace to you and to me, to all of us. For he is not a God of, who delights in the death of anyone, 
Now each week he comes to us with the fullness of the gospel that we may time and again turn to him and live. And never, never sin against the Holy Spirit. And when we hear the good news of the Lord Jesus, then we can affirm the words of hymn 48. The gospel of salvation God has to us revealed. And we, his word believing, were with his spirit sealed. And we pray, O Spirit, by your power, our faithfulness increase and reap us in us your harvest of love and joy and peace. Amen.